Welcome to the Life is a Ceremony podcast by Petiti Institute. We're inspired to share practical insights to engage everyday life as an evolutionary journey. Every moment is an opportunity to practice. If you would like to send us a question or a comment or a donation, you're welcome to visit www.paititi-institute.org. That's www.paititi-institute.org. In this episode, Roman Hannes is interviewed discussing how police brutality and crisis response can be addressed by compassionate indigenous wisdom. Uh, so I was thinking we could give a little intro, even though we sent you some information, but, but yeah, like a little intro about our, our research project mm -hmm. and might help kind of frame the discussion. Cause I'm sure you, you've so much to share and your experience is so deep. You mentioned you've been doing this for 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. so to, to try to focus, yeah, on this discussion and then, yeah, I guess that's kind of it. Uh, so, so we are really interested in non-ordinary states or altered states as as paths to healing and we've seen the similarity between non-ordinary states of all kinds um, such as those induced by psychedelics such as ayahuasca um, non-traditional healing practices as well as more organic states such as people entering psychosis or psychotic states for, for any number of personal reasons, often related to trauma. And so, especially in this time of rethinking mental health crisis response in the United States and what the police really need to be doing and what the police really are best to not be involved in um, mm -hmm. and trying to take back this community crisis response from the police and put it in hands that are more compassionate and more loving we're really curious in, in yeah, bringing perspectives of compassion from psychedelic spiritual spaces into the discussion around what we want these mental health crisis response alternatives to look like, to reduce police harm and especially for people of color. Um, and so one of the types of perspectives we're really interested in bringing in, which is why we're really excited to talk to you due to our own personal medicine work and, and seeing how impactful that is, is the type of space and practices that facilitators of medicine ceremonies can bring to people who are in non-ordinary states, who are open to healing, and how some of these practices may or may not be applicable in a, in a more, in a more uh, traditional space that's currently um, occupied by government services and more traditional mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, throughout the years, I worked with people from all walks of life and people with different uh, degrees of trauma. I worked with ex-prisoners from maximum security prisons, and I worked with war veterans from all parts of the world, both from the Soviet Union and from the U.S. and uh, definitely there there is a similarity where there are certain experiences. This, like you said, the altered state consciousness experiences that people have gone into that were not integrated into life. And just recently, I have a friend in uh, Lebanon, and uh, there is an explosion in Lebanon. People were walking around. Uh, he describes in dreamlike states, right in the haze and 
then they would walk around like that for a while and then people would come and embrace them and only then they would start crying and would mm-hmm. but until then they were just um unable to actually express their emotions and the same thing has happened when i experienced ceremonies where the prisoner ex prisoners would go into traumatic states and they would get vi- violent at times mm-hmm. and uh, in indigenous traditions it's important to continue supporting that uh, tender kind and gentle space and uh, it's amazing what happens in those situations where they just melt they may come at me with aggression and uh, i i just need them with gentle touch and they just melt under that mm. um it's really fascinating the response of trauma and it's important of course to navigate it uh with a lot of uh, intentional and mindful presence and bring that heart centered presence into those situations mm. and i'm curious that's the opposite of what's happening <laughs> yeah all those police altercations mm. yeah what in those moments where you're being met with aggression earlier you would use the word violence mm-hmm. and i'm curious about i'm curious about the spectrum of experience where it's like how how you've shown up in like maybe somebody voicing feelings of discontent versus like full on fighting and like how how that mm-hmm. impact how you show up well definitely in some uh some of the situations it was just voicing the discontent or people become disassociative mm-hmm. and sometimes even catatonic and then yeah it's essential to really cultivate that loving space and in ceremonies today i've heard in some of the modern context of ceremonies when people start to go into that they're just being put in a closet so that other people can have a good experience so to speak and that's not how the indigenous traditions that i've been trained in and worked with approach it where yeah if somebody is having an experience like that it's the collective healing it's for everyone to hold space for that person it's not like they are taken away from other people's experiences they're actually contributing they are going through that for the sake of everyone and so then in the indigenous traditions it's not like this one person is at fault that person presents the symptoms of the collective and of course each individual has to take their own responsibility for it but it's not to be taken out of context and isolated and then of course i've had situations where people would actually turn violent and then i would have to wrestle them and in those kind of situations it was very important for me to have a connection with people ahead of time it's not like they would just come for one time ceremony we don't do that in our institute we have retreats that are minimum 10 days and usually we used to do them minimum for one month but it's been hard with uh, people's lives um, but it's really that context where there is already an established connection with that person they're not just meeting me for the for the first time and then even though they're fighting with me i can actually get through to them there is that connection 
on on the subconscious level and then sometimes yeah i do have to wrestle with them but i engage with that still from a loving space and then they literally melt in my arms each time so it's really fascinating how that works it sounds it's so beautiful and i'm grateful for the times when i've been held through my difficult moments um and then i my mind is flashing to people that are in hospital or being brought to hospital and the amount of fear that gets played out and how there's that there isn't that attunement set up for them already with the people that are handling them mm-hmm. um i'm curious about I mean, part of what we're both curious about is what, what could we do to create that, to bring that, that beautiful medicine that you engage with in the Institute and in ceremonies and bring that into our world? Well, you know, we've been, for the last um, few years, we've been really focusing on ways to bring that without the antigens, without the plant medicines. And so we've been working with an Amazonian breathwork modality that originates in the Yanomami tribe Mm. and was introduced to me by a Witoto elder uh, many years ago. And also a Tibetan breathwork modality that is also based on this potentially cathartic experience. But the focus of that is not really the catharsis, it's entering into an altered state in a fully conscious way and then learning how to cultivate deeper and deeper states of restfulness so it's like under the layers of tension under the layers of the armor that people accumulate there is always that that tender innocence that for the indigenous people is considered to be the greatest power contained within that seed and then, of course, we've been working with the Ashoar dream practices that we've been translating through the help of the transpersonal Jungian work with people and also just uh, illustrating how people develop all kinds of different unconscious responses to situations that they can start to become aware of and then, again, bring back that intentional space and presence. Mm. And so we have retreats that we have a four day retreat that we developed when we travel during our tours that we used to call form and formless. And it is about the Amazonian remembrance practice that allows people to really work through many different accumulated charges through their lives and memories that bring up certain associations. And so, of course, it's not about fixing the past, but it's about seeing how the past is continuously influencing the present, how certain unconscious reactions to situations, to trauma have been developed and then they are continuously playing in people's mind and recreating certain situations where unconsciously people are trying to resolve it, but then of course keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Mm. Then that coupled with the remembrance practice, it's a certain meditation that people engage in and journaling together with the breath work and the dream work practices have been quite life-changing for many people. So we've experienced amazing results with that. 
And sometimes people go through the breathwork practice with us. We're going to do the Amazonian part. The Amazonian part is um, easier for us to share with people uh, online. The Tibetan practice can be a lot more intense and we have to do it in person. Mm. At least we haven't found a way to do it online yet. But uh, the Amazonian practice, we're about to do a series of that next week, I believe. My wife, she's more, she's the organizer. I don't have the date exactly, but the practices bring people in states that people experience in ceremonies. And sometimes even when we do it in person, when we travel, we do it with ceremonial cacao. And then people come to me afterwards and they ask me, you sure there wasn't ayahuasca in that cacao? <laughs> and uh, actually, yeah, it's just through the power of the breath and the presence. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did one session of breathwork, like Stan Groff's holotropic workshop, and mm -hmm. I was very surprised how how different I felt. It, it was a fully altered state for sure. Mm -hmm. I found that? it, it's really powerful. I really, I do a session a week of holotropic breathwork guided, and it's different every time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it quite psychedelic which is incredible that that's all within your own mind. Yeah, definitely. And uh, with, in some ways, this um, practice is similar to the holotropic uh, breathwork. And in some ways, it's very distinct. One way that I found in Stan Grof, uh, he developed this practice in the West, and it is more based on this kind of isolated Western perspective on consciousness where the Tibetan and Amazonian, they are more tribal practices. And a lot has to do with um, synchronization. And people go through their own individual experiences, but at the same time, there is that space held for the collective. And um, many people share that that's the most uh, powerful aspect about the breathwork that we do is that it, it brings people into the experience of the greater whole. They feel themselves to be a part of a greater organism during that time. Where with the holotropic, it's often, okay, everyone wear blindfold, there's loud music, everyone has their own experience. But um, in the indigenous traditions, it's more geared towards synchronization. And so then even people breathe at different patterns, but they still link in with each other. Mm. an experience where in the Amazonian tradition, for example, the breath work, people come to it with all kinds of problems, which they have their share in the Amazon and problems that are too big for each individual to deal with on their own. And then through the practice, people experience themselves as a greater organism. And then suddenly this big problem that was too much for one individual to deal with, it just becomes a drop of dirty water in an ocean of clear light. They become, they actually feel themselves to be a part of a greater whole where all of those tensions can dissolve and transform. So it's been inspiring to really share this indigenous wisdom mm -hmm. with the world today because of the, there's so much separation and isolation happening and to bring people into that experience of connection and that's been really healing to witness that 
Yeah, it, it's something Rose and I have been talking about just, um, and, and we have a friend who's doing his dissertation on, on this, just on how much of the healing of ayahuasca ceremonies is from the, the group process and the, mm-hmm. the um, yeah, the space created and the social connections fostered and the being in it together, which is so not the way that Western psychology approaches healing. Mm. Um, and I find myself really curious right now, like, because it almost feels like it was kind of embedded in one of Rose's earlier questions, but it almost feels like we're, we're trying to do this like tran- translation work, like from one language to another, like the language of like more indigenous practices of um, different psychedelic practices, which some are a little more Western, but there's kind of a, you know, core that's not very Western because it's like, that was kind of go beyond a lot of those, the, those individualistic models. And so like trying to think about how this group-based, community-based, collective healing process can or could or does work in a, in like a crisis response or in a, um, yeah, like in, in an embedded Western model of crisis response and like mental health hospitals like Rose was talking about. Mm-hmm. Really well said, I like that, Alan. Yeah, definitely. It's something that we can learn from these ancient societies, how people would actually support and hold presence and see that the sickness is is not the symptoms, but it's really the way that we relate to each other. And that's, that's a big part of our work. We're also doing the Wisdom Keeper series with um, our Caro, elder friends right now from the Caro Nation in Peru. Mm. And we actually have one coming up on Monday. And yeah, they have this uh, word Aini, which is the right way of living, the reciprocity, the interconnectedness. And that's the, mm. the cornerstone of these traditions. So in, in our work, of course, people don't have that on an intuitive level. They are not raised with that kind of connection, with that kind of uh, way of life. And so we find that we can bring a similar experience in our sharing circles where we bring up certain vulnerable shares of people's traumas and situations, but then encourage relatedness where it's not just this person's individual experience. Yeah, everyone has their own flavor of that conditioning of separation, but the conditioning of separation is something that we all share. And so then when we live in this society of Facebook likes, I call it, where people don't show their their true face, people don't share their real feelings, and everyone are pretending that everything is fine, and then there's so many problems happening. And instead, when people acknowledge their sense of separation, people acknowledge their sense of isolation and misery, and then other people begin to relate to them. And so it's through the acknowledgement of the separation that connection is found. And it's fascinating to, to experience that. And then, of course, when we engage with that, not in a crisis situation first, but we actually begin to develop that sense of connection during the experience of crisis 
people are much more connected together and are able to support each other through that. Potent words for the times we're living in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite crazy to witness all the division and separation and yeah. Do you have insight into what we call mood disorders or psychotic states and how they may present within indigenous communities, like how they're dealt, they're dealt with. Even my language feels really violent and mm -hmm. it's part of the system, well, but. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, we have to use this language because that's the society that it came from. For the indigenous people, they have a very different mental frame. So they are, they're living in a much more intuitive state of consciousness. Uh, they don't conceptualize as much as we do. And they live in this world where it's more of a dreamlike reality, where things that are external, they are symbols of the inner universe and vice versa. And so because of that, they can go through it in a much more fluid way. When the, the indigenous person is going through a psychotic state, they are not separate from the collective as much as we are. And so then they're able to move through it in a much easier way than people with a Western frame of consciousness. And so a lot of our work has been to really create those intercultural bridges and to help people reconnect to that more fluid stream-like consciousness rather than this egocentric bubbles that we live in today. And then through that connection, then the healing can occur. And then of course it's this, okay, the psychotic state, but really underneath that, there are those pent up suppressed emotions and feelings that people don't know how to deal with that they just go get to the point of explosiveness. It's like a lightning in a bottle, right? You just open it up and the, it feels like there's this electrical charge that has been accumulated. And initially the charge is very strong. And then if the container is held, then the charge is dispelled. And then the emotions have less of a grasp on the person's mind. And then people can start to work with their emotions and learn how to channel them. But in our Western world, people think, well, it's my emotions. It's mine. There is this kind of possessiveness to it that doesn't exist in the indigenous traditions. The emotion comes up, but it's not my emotion. It's moving through me. Uh. The container that you mentioned that would hold someone during this process, in your experience, when when you've held someone or supported or created this container for someone going through this process. I'm, I'm wondering how that experience has been, especially in, in longer experiences, mm -hmm. if you've had in any of those people who come and worked with you, you know, whether it was like a couple days or a couple weeks or even beyond that, if those are experiences you've had and if so, what that's been like to create and maintain that container. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it has to do with the intentional space. And of course, when we do the prolonged retreats, we don't 
allow people to come in and out of that space. So we have a group of people that is coming into the space and then we work together through that time. And uh, the healing circle is very important because people start to develop ways to relate with each other. Mm. And people begin to experience this uh, healing through each other where one individual may have a certain connection with someone in a group that can support them with certain qualities and another person can support them with other ones. And of course, we also reflect the shadow and the light side to each other. And then there is this awareness that is cultivated within the group. And a big part of it, of course, is not making anything wrong. That's another indigenous wisdom that instead of there being right and wrong, there is ignorance and wisdom. And ignorance potentially is already wise. It can transform into wisdom if we embrace it. But if I make something wrong, it can never become right. And so then throughout the prolonged period, gradually the awareness is cultivated. So there is more and more of an intentional space that is brought. And of course, sometimes people have very strong traumas in their lives, whether it's uh, you know, past abuse situations or all kinds of PTSD experiences. And the healing process has to go back into those experiences. People have to re-experience those traumas, but in a supportive space, in an intentional container. And then every time there is a little bit more awareness, a little bit more intentionality behind it until people can actually allow those emotions to pass through them instead of holding them back or reacting based on them. Mm. Trying to distill everything you're saying and remembering and recording it too, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's good in the moment. It's because of our, our engagement in the conversation in the moment. It's your intuition, your insights and mine and all of ours combined, so that, that helps, definitely. Have you ever experienced someone whose process was so long that you reached the end of a retreat and then you had to, um, yeah, and then you kind of had to consider how to help this person on the next step, whether it was connecting them with a different like provider or thinking about what support services might look like back at home with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Even our 30 day retreats, we tell people that uh, they, they are still an introduction. We give people a push in the right direction, but it's really often um, it will not happen in one month. And sometimes it has to be a lifelong process. But uh, once people have the tools, so our focus is really to provide people with the perspective and practical tools that allows them to continue cultivating that. And then, of course, we keep encouraging that connection after the retreats. And we've been developing over years, of course, there's always more and there is a lot of work for us to keep developing those supportive ways to keep holding people through their process, to keep encouraging that intentional community of friends who are willing to face themselves, 
because there is a lot of unintentional community out there of people who are just living in this elaborate self-deception manufactured for collective consumption. So we encourage to people to keep cultivating that intentional community, keep being vulnerable, keep being open and sincere with each other, and then that becomes possible. And so, yeah, we just provide the blueprint for people and really show people what is possible in the retreat container. And then the real work really starts after people leave the retreat. In the retreat, people experience this um, intentional group support. And that is not so tangible after people leave the retreat. And it's up to each individual to cultivate that and to do it more willingly. Otherwise, in the retreat container, people come and sometimes it's, it's provided so people take it for granted. But really, people are challenged after the retreat and we uh, prepare them for that. So yeah, so we have different ways that we've been, especially during this pandemic, we've been developing different ways with online courses and practices and ways for our community to connect and reach out to each other. And that's really essential with the technology that we have and the circumstances that we deal with to really have ways where people can reach out. Mm. You know, I, I have, um, it's interesting. I have a, someone really close to me who's, who's hospitalized right now for a manic episode. And he called me the other day and he was with someone he had met in hospital. And I had a feeling of like, why is this guy around? There was a feeling of total distress and like not really wanting to engage with him. But in talking to you and, and it, it's such an important reminder of like the work that we're trying to do, which is like, and the bias that I hold from the society that we are part of, of like, this is a deeply connected experience that they're sharing. And they're, they've found each other and they're trying to move through it. And they want to continue to work, like to know each other outside of hospital and to work to support people going through this transitional time um, which is intentional community building based on a shared experience. Um, and in the work that we do in our, our doctorate program, so much of the healing that happens is simply the fact that the person believes in the person that they're sitting with. It doesn't really matter what the interventions are. It's just like a faith and the connection. Um, so I just wanted to name that that came up for me as we were talking about it. Mm. Yeah, definitely a big part of it, I feel, I find is not trying to fix anyone. Mm. And that's how I've also been um, taught in my apprenticeship is really the only way that I can support people is by actually recognizing their wisdom, recognizing their own capacity and their potential and being grateful for that. And of course, taking those lessons into myself. And the more that I can see each individual and especially people who are going through very intense episodes, 
if I can really honor them through that, that's the most support I can provide. I've had a case of a war veteran who was uh, going through this uh, you know, really intense catatonic PTSD experience during a ceremony and he went back into um, just war zone with bullets flying, everything exploding on all sides and he's completely incapacitated and rolling all over the place and we have an altar laid out in an Indian mesa on the floor and he's just you know, rolling all over the altar and people are telling me, oh, and he's messing up the altar. And I'm telling no, he is the altar. Right? It's really for us to honor that. And then just as soon as we opened up our hearts to his experience and, and became grateful to him for going through that, he was able to start reconciling and healing. He was able to come back into consciousness, but until then he was totally unconscious. And so, yeah, I definitely find that it's really not about trying to make someone better or fix them, but really honoring them in where they're at and yeah. their, their, their own inner healer in that space. Mm. Yeah, the, the way it was said in, in our training rows yesterday, Mm -hmm. about um i translated as the inner healer but the way the guy said it was as each person has a plan for healing that has their own internal conscious or unconscious plan for healing mm -hmm. and to enact that plan they need to test they need to they need to test and get the right types of responses whether it be from a therapist or by changing it from something that he was doing wrong or from him being on the outside alone changing it to being grateful to him mm. and being a part of a group process. It, it, ju it just sounds like whatever tests his unconscious mm. was performing, that was some sort of at least a partial answer, a passing answer to some of those tests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. T time keeps coming up for me. Um, it's something we keep coming back to and discussing, but because, yeah, like as, as you've mentioned, your retreats were, and often still are a, a month long. So like a, lo a lot of time, a lot of spaciousness. And for a lot of these deep traumas, it takes a lot of time for someone to come, you know, to be potentially healed from something like schizophrenia, like it takes time on the order of of years often mm -hmm. um, for someone to come back from a substance and do state of psychosis, it can take days or weeks or, you know, it just depends. Um, and so he, like in trying to do this translation, this translation of bringing this sort of wisdom, sort of compassion into a space where someone is on the street in San Francisco, maybe homeless, maybe they're a war veteran, having the type of experience that you just described, rolling into the altar, feeling like they're in a war zone mm -hmm. and feeling what's needed for that person, something akin to what you shared in the ceremony, and then feeling what's possible for that person given the resources available. And of the resource limitations, the biggest resource limitation 
it is feeling to me like it's time like it's time Mm -hmm. like you know if police or whatever crisis responders are there like um even with compassion how long will they be okay waiting for this person and just sharing them with positivity before needing to do something or if someone is needing months or years of compassion yeah what yeah, so I, I don't have an answer. And I, I guess my question is, you've thought a lot about time and the time needed for these types of, these types of he- healing to, to be done. So, and I heard that you went from a time of a longer, month-long retreat to now shorter sometimes. So you've kind of gone through that process of reducing the amount of time and, and working with the challenges, I assume, that would come from that. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm wondering if, if you can share any thoughts on time in general, and then especially what can be done with time as a limited resource or envisioning a way for mental health crisis services to be um, offered in a way that are less time, time um, that, that are more spacious time. Yeah, I find over the years, you know, um, learning how to do it more skillfully and then being able to do it in less time. And of course, also depending on each case, so it cannot be generalized. But um, also having um, more of a community that have a certain embodied experience of how to work through that. And then that also allows it to be much more effective. Mm and yeah we've done for for many years we've only been doing 30 day retreats minimum and then a few years ago we decided to try doing it in a 10 day retreat space and we were really surprised how effective that was and how people still found it to be very life changing for them mm. and i feel that a lot of that has to do with also us having as our organization has been becoming more experienced and more people on our team were able to hold that space more deeply than it was possible to do it in a shorter period of time. And I find, yeah, in our society today, and like you said, on the street of San Francisco, somebody is going through that. Again, that individual is, is expressing the symptoms of the collective. And so if there is a greater awareness that is cultivated in the collective, um, my intuition tells me that it would be possible to make it possible for that individual to go through what they're going through, also through a shorter period of time. And of course, it's a lot of it has to do with just uh, community uh, awareness cultivation and encouragement because otherwise yeah people think that yeah it's this person who is crazy or this um, group of people are acting out or but actually we are all connected we are all interconnected and it's up to all of us to learn how to engage with that and see how it's the same basic ignorance that is happening potentially within all of us some people may be more amplified examples of that but we all have that Mm. And so again, 
And I feel that there has to be a balance between the individual and the collective. Yeah, it's also not possible to blame everything on the collective and to say, okay, well, yeah, it's the society that is at fault for everything that is happening in my life. Yeah, there is truth to that, but there is there has to be a middle ground. Mm. It's, it's making me think of a um, one of the chapters in Cleo Gibran's The Prophet. He mm-hmm. he talks about. I think it was in the Justice or like Crime and Justice type chapter. It's about um, yeah, how that like when people find themselves down these tough paths that like yeah, like we're we're all in this together, and even if we didn't. Even if we didn't stumble over the stone on the path, and you know, and we were able to jump over it because we're more nimble, um, we also didn't remove it for this for this other person, and so therefore, but they ended up stumbling because maybe they weren't yeah as quick of foot, um, and in a sense we're just as yeah we're just as responsible, uh, yeah that we have a we have a responsibility as well yeah and so in the indigenous traditions the focus is to really bring it through to each individual in the way that is relevant to them and to really share okay yeah we all what is common between we of course it's important to see the distinctions and also to see ways that each one of us has a unique way to engage with the problem. The healing circle, within the healing circle, everyone are equal. And at the same time, everyone have a unique perspective. Nobody can see the circle from the same angle that they do. And so then each person has a unique contribution. And so then encouraging that uniqueness from each one to contribute to the greater whole equally. Mm. I see that we're we're kind of nearing two, and I um I do need to go to, and I want to be respectful of your time. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so yeah, I I guess I'm curious if Rose, if you have any burning questions, and then. Yeah. I mean, my biggest question is, what do we do? (laughs) And I think that's just, that's the question is also the answer, you know, to keep asking, Mm -hmm. keep refining and that's it. Yeah. Openness is very essential Mm -hmm. to keep an open mind and not to kind of just limit ourselves to what we see in one moment and then yeah it's this receptivity and curiosity and relatedness yeah i also just want to share that uh, i'm very inspired by what both of you are involved in and your willingness to really find the solution or be the solution and the angle that you're approaching it from so yeah it's very inspiring very resonating with what our institute is standing for and yeah we are not based in the u.s i'm also not from the u.s originally so you know it's been hard for me to experience all of this turmoil and 
yeah, I see that many Americans don't know how to engage with it, and yeah, I don't come from this culture, but uh, we can still engage and find ways to relate. And so, yeah, some uh, inspired to keep contributing to that. Thank you. Along those lines, with do, if you have any, yeah, any any thoughts on, you know. Um, on this project or the idea that we presented or, you know, or, um, I don't know, angles that we haven't considered or, you know, like a particular wisdom tradition we should look into or, um, you know, just any, you know, any way that we can learn from you and continue to either narrow or expand the focus of what we're looking at. Anything comes to mind? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned we have a video serious right now with our Kero elders but they're really amazing people it's um, our elder Juan Gabriel and his son uh, Julian and they're the first generation that came down from the mountain of Sangata you know they uh, were hiding there from the 15th century when the conquistadors came and Kero is the only nation that was able to preserve their tradition intact and they just came down fairly recently they still remember how things used to be and when their culture was untouched. And we have another call with them. We've had one great call a little while ago, and we have another call with them on Monday. And then also during our retreats, we have uh, elders that we share the space with, that they've been working with us for years from the Amazonian, from the Shipibo tradition, and also from the Kero nation and also the Quechua people. And yeah, so we bring those kind of experiences of people from different cultures, different traditions, and then uh, find that to be very healing for people to experience the, uh, the the gamma of different cultures, different traditions. My son is... <laughs> He's ready for you to be off. He's ready <laughs> for you to be yeah. <laughs> uh, Well, sounds good. Um, I'll... The podcast is on your website, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can okay. send you the link okay. for the upcoming. I... The upcoming one is going to be on Facebook Live this Monday. Oh, okay. Cool. That'd be great. So, yeah, so you can participate. You can ask questions from Juan Gabriel. And we're translating across three languages. So from uh, Quechua to Spanish to English. But last time it went really well. So you, oh. you're welcome to ask questions and uh, they, they'll be happy to respond. We are doing this right now to also support the Kira Nation. Mm. So we are organizing campaign to provide the basic food supplies for them during this hard time. Especially Peru, you know, they've been in martial law this mm. whole time with borders closed. Mm. So yeah, so definitely. Sounds good. I look forward to checking it out. Together and we can keep supporting each other. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you to both of you. Thank you. Really great meeting you and yeah. however I can be in service. Thank you so much. Thank you. And c c congratulations again on your baby. And I hope you have a, you. A, a good soon trip back to Peru. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we are praying for that. Okay, much love to you. Take care. Much Bye. love. Bye, Roman. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you have found value in what we have shared, we welcome donations in order to continue this service. To make a donation or to ask a question, visit our website at www.paititi-institute.org. 
That's www.paititi-institute.org. May all beings be happy and free.